Welcome to Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people intelligence, deal intelligence, and market intelligence. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. When I think back on my sales career, and specifically the best sales leaders that I've either reported to or worked with, they weren't just strategic uh, and they weren't just great salespeople themselves, but they were very, very impactful coaches. They taught me around the mental game, the tactical game, how to navigate accounts and anything and everything in between. And that's why this week, we're going to replay a webinar called Three Secrets to Powerful Sales Coaching. Now, I moderated, but we have two fantastic sales leaders. We have Dana Feldman, who is an enterprise sales leader at Gong and who recently joined us from Amazon. And we have Brian Tucker, who's one of the very early sales reps at Gong, who's now head of our mid-market sales team. And so we're going to break down three key things for you. So if you're a sales leader today, here's exactly what you're going to get. You're going to learn how to make coaching a habit. Sales coaching is often like going to the gym. We know it's really important. We're fully bought in. But when the day gets busy, it's usually the first thing that gets dropped to the bottom of the to-do list and then doesn't always end up happening. So you're going to learn how to build a consistent coaching culture that will transform your reps into stars. Number two is you're going to learn what it means to surface coaching blind spots. Things like how to tell if your team is talking too much on sales calls. Are they asking too many questions? Are they asking the wrong questions? You're going to learn how to spot skill gaps and address them quickly. And the last thing is how to measure sales readiness. So you're going to learn what part of your sales coaching and enablement is worth keeping and what you should actually cut. And they're also going to talk through the right success metrics based on what your strategic goals are. So you can turn data into your secret weapon. So with that, let's go hang out with Dana and Brian and break down three secrets to powerful sales coaching. Welcome to today's session. So thanks for joining. We are here to talk about three secrets to powerful sales coaching, how to increase revenue and turn mid performers into top performers, something everybody wants. Now, the goal of this session is to share with you insights and tactics that you can take and put into play immediately. You've spent some time today. You've made a, a decision to better yourself as a coach, which doesn't just impact yourself and your career, but also your team and your organization as a whole. You're going to continue to share your knowledge and help elevate others. And that's what it's all about. So whether you're a aspiring sales leader, maybe you're, maybe you're an IC and you're looking to become a great coach, this will help put you on the right track. Maybe you have reps or managers reporting to you. We'll give a shout out to BT in a moment. We have uh, you covered as well. Or maybe you're a coach of coaches, your senior leader, looking for ways to better coach your managers, directors, maybe VPs. 
everything will be covered. You'll definitely be something you can take home today. So let's get into our intro. So today we have Dana Feldman, head of enterprise and mid-market sales at Amazon. Quick disclaimer, opinions are expressed solely are hers. We do not express <laughs> the views and opinions of her employer. We're all big companies now. We've got to cover our bases. We are very grateful for Dana. Dana, if you want to introduce yourself any more than I already have, now's the time. Hi, everyone. Um, I am thrilled to be here, and I'm grateful uh, to Gong for making uh, this channel available. I think um, the topic of coaching, I cannot tell you how many messages I got about this session today, and it's it's such a wide ranging topic, coaching. And, um, you know, I think there's so much we could cover and hours, not even part of it. Um, but it's something super near and dear to my heart. It's something that I've made a lot of mistakes in. I continue to be a student of, um, and I hope that everyone today gets a lot of goodness out of this. And then I'm always happy to follow up as well, but, but really excited to be here. So thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, we also have Brian Tucker, who's head of mid-market sales at Gong. Fun fact, Brian and I started at Gong together uh, back in 2017. I was the second sales hire and he was the third <laughs> sales hire. So I am technically more tenured than he is, but uh, it's been fantastic to see Brian go from an IC role and now leading our, uh, you know, you're an enterprise BT and now you're leading the mid-market team. Yeah, uh, I knew you were gonna slide that in, Devin. Um, so, so quick question, are the opinion Opinions expressed by me, the opinions of, of Gong and my employer. Why, why didn't I get the same disclaimer? You know what? Our legal team didn't add, uh, ask for that disclaimer for us. So I think you and I are free to speak at will. Uh, <laughs> fantastic. A little dangerous as well. So, hey, everyone, it's, it's, it's a pleasure to meet you. I am Brian Tucker, otherwise known as BT here uh, at Gong. Uh, I lead our mid-market sales team, which is a, a small and mighty team of, of 12 reps right now. We, we are hiring. We have big plans this year, so feel free to, to, to give me a shout. Um, but yeah, I, I've been in leadership for approaching a couple of years now, was one of the first ICs at Gong, and uh, am excited to share all of my best pra practices uh, on sales coaching. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. Let's talk about our agenda a bit. Just so you know, we're here for the secret sauce. Everyone wants to get better here. And it's kind of meta, you're here to get better at helping other people get better. So there's three main pillars that we'll talk about. It's building a coaching culture, servicing coaching blind spots, how to measure the impact of your coaching, and we'll touch on some coaching technology before we recap as well. So let's go ahead and get started here. So the secret sauce, everyone wants the secret sauce. Whenever I think of secret sauce, I think of In-N-Out. It's a burger joint here in California. <laughs> uh, everyone wants to know what's inside of it because it's so damn good. And so that's what we're gonna break down. Now, as Dana said, we could probably do a weekly hour long session and till the end of the year and probably not get through all of the aspects of coaching. And so as we are creating the content for today, the goal is, you know, some of the things, these pillars, you've probably heard before, you know, making it a part of your culture. That might not be the secret for you, but the secret sauce might be in the how. How can I actually take these ideas and build a framework and make some action at my own company? So that's what our speakers are here to do today. And so for the very first secret, what if you could make coaching a part of your culture? I always like to think of coaching as kind of like going to the gym. It's something that I know is good for me. Uh, it's something that I genuinely want to do but it has to become a habit, right? Or part of who I am. And so Dana, maybe you can kick us off here in terms of, you know, why is, why is coaching being a part of culture even so important to start with? I think, 
it's interesting the the topic of coaching um most reactions to it are not people or reps going yay like i want coaching like it's 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 this incredibly um confronting thing if it's not set up the right way and i know um you know subconsciously our, our brains like five times um a second are actually scanning our environment to say like is it safe or is it not safe and we don't even know our brains are doing this and so it's so important that in order to have a sales organization um, where coaching is really well received and uh, everyone feels safe with it, that you do make it part of your culture. And um, I think we'll talk about the different ways that, that you can do it. But for me, my opinion is that it can have a, such a confronting or a negative uh, tick to it that like there's so much we need to do to put into place to overcome uh, that being the natural reaction to the topic of coaching, which is which it often is. That's true. People talk about coaching and coachability as a part of that as well, right? Which is like the receiving end of that. BT, I think you're about to say something. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a, a tremendous point, Dana. Um, I, I think that it's really important to combat that, to include the the why and the because, um, and, and have that coming from the top down. So it's, you know, we're not coaching to just coach. We're not coaching to coach someone out of the business or make someone feel bad because they, you know, failed in a certain scenario. Uh, we're coaching because we want everyone to win and we want the broader organization lifted up um, and we, we want to build a world-class team. So. I uh, couldn't agree more with everything you just said, Dana. Yeah, and I, I think, too, uh, with this, um, it's so important when you are creating this culture of coaching to lead from the front. And so I, for for me and, and for the other um, you know, leaders on the call, you've got to first put yourself out there and let your teams know that you're getting coached. And what are you getting coached on? And then even it's even more powerful that when you share what you're getting coached on to share back to the team where you didn't do well or where you fell back into an old habit or um, what feedback you got. Right. You have to be incredibly transparent as a leader that this is not about perfection and everyone is getting coaching. I mean, there are executive coaches getting paid a lot of money to coach our CEOs and, and, and the C-level suite. So I think that's such an important piece of how to make it part of your culture. I also think um, a lot of times I see people wanting to make it part of their culture, but the investment is not there. So what do I, so what do I mean by that? Um, you know, when I moved from an IC into a manager a long time ago, and it's so funny, uh, Donica Murphy's on here. He was on one of my first, he was on my first team that I managed from Ireland. Um, you know, you, you do really well as an IC and you get moved over into a leadership role. And it's like all of a sudden, magically, you're supposed to be this amazing coach. And what you quickly find out, or actually not quickly, what you do find out is, as you go through your career is um, you think coaching initially is about telling people how you did things really well and then directing them to do the same. I mean, that's just like kind of a common, a common pitfall. And then what you end up learning is that, you know, coaching is so much more about how do you help the person that you're working with um, draw their own conclusions, 
um, evaluate other options, consider other things, um, have their own thought process to get to a different sort of uh, endpoint. And that is not easy. And so you need a, you need a lot of training and investment and frameworks given. Whether you are a brand new manager or whether you've been doing this a long time, um, you need that investment. And I often find that is missing. Um, I find that a lot of organizations want to have everyone coaching and they want everyone doing it, but it's like what skill skills or training or backup have you given to your people to ensure that that's going to happen? Hmm. When you say framework, Dana, you know, one of the things that I, I feel like I've picked up from management here at Gong as I made the transition and something that was like unique about our coaching culture here was just the the discipline around the activities that we did, whether it was a weekly call review or um, some type of deal review, having those types of activities like on the calendar with the team and like taking them really seriously is they're not those types of meetings that, you know, just kind of float around and get pushed all the time. And, you know, don't that there's not actually value being created for your team. Um, that's something that, I feel like has just up-leveled our coaching culture, just having that rigor. Um, when, when you say frameworks, I'm curious from your perspective, you're a couple levels higher than I, how, how do you think about that? <laughs> um, yeah, sure. I think, I think you can use frameworks in, in two different pieces. Like one is how do you measure that coaching's hap happening and how do you measure that it's successful? The other framework that I'm thinking about though is um you know, it's really common uh, that as you begin to coach someone in a one-on-one -on -one or whatever setting it's in, um, the advice monster pops up. And I, I learned that term recently in a training that I took my leadership to. Um, and it's just like, you ask one question to the person or they ask one question to you and it is just so easy to go into, here's the answer, here you go, I'm going to give you my advice, right? And so when I when I said framework just now, I meant w ensuring that um, your leaders have some sort of coaching framework to follow. And whilst mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily here to say one is better than the other, there's the grow model. There's a whole bunch. Um, I, I I will say, like recently, I I myself went through and took my leadership team through the coaching habit. I actually I have it right here. There's a book too, the coaching habit. And the reason why I like this one the best out of all the ones that I've done is it gives you seven questions to ask while you coach someone. Um, and so that I think is just such a nice, simple thing to give leaders so that they don't have to think of all the questions on the fly. And so there's seven questions. And then the other thing that I, and, and it's also the training that really coined the term, the advice monster, which I thought was awesome. Um, the other thing I like about it is, I think people can get into coaching and then they can feel that one of the ways they're coaching is by giving advice, but turning it into a question. So an example is if I really, Brian, want you um, to go and get more decision makers involved in your deal, uh, I'll, uh, this is what happens. I'll say like, so have you thought about getting more decision makers in your deal? And right there, it's like me directing you on what to do rather than coaching you to come to that conclusion. So it also talks a lot that. about how, how to avoid that and actually, um, you know, not to do that. But I think um, there's the framework there. And then I, I definitely want us today to talk about 
frameworks to make sure that coaching's happening and how to how to measure those. Um, and I, it's interesting, uh, a philosophy that I've gotten better at, um, certainly during my time at Amazon, but I think this happens is everyone has the best of intentions to coach. All leaders have the best intentions to coach. They want to coach. And so you say, all right, let's, let's coach our reps. And everyone's like, great, I'm going to go do it. And then without any sort of measurement on that, how do you know it's actually happening? And then how do you know it's effective? And so this is where good intentions don't work because everyone has the good intentions to coach. But if you don't have that, that measurement and that adoption behind it, you lose it. And so, um, you know, I think, I think one of the most effective things that I've seen for leaders is actually giving leaders a coaching KPI. So that is, I think, in alignment, Brian, with what you were talking about. Hey, on a weekly basis, I want to see like at least five coaching sessions that you've done um, and, you know, measuring those in gong or, or whatever it might be. But I think without that KPI, you as especially me as a top line leader, I don't know if it's actually happening. And I, and I mm. don't want to rely on anecdotes. I actually want to see the data that tells me it is. T- totally. Um, kind of, kind of in that vein, I, I think one of the biggest realizations I had over the past year is, is my team, uh, grew exponentially was as a leader, I can't be the one responsible for all of the coaching. There's just not enough time in the day. There are too many things going on and it's so easy to overcommit yourself with those really great intentions that you genuinely want to do. But when push comes to shove, it's like, all right, I'm already putting in 40, 50, 60, you know, hours a week and, and, and there's just not time to do this. Um, so one of the biggest things I've learned through our, intro, our scale here at Gong is uh, it's really important to create leverage. Uh, and one of the best leverage points that you have as a leader are the aspiring leaders on your team, the, the reps, the managers that like you wholeheartedly trust. And, you know, in many ways you look at them and you're like, wow, you're a, a fantastic seller. You're better than me. Uh, I, I want to learn from you. Um, and you create situations and opportunities uh, for those individuals to disseminate their knowledge, their feedback, and and to help others. Uh, so, you know, you are not the advice monster, I guess, as you might call it. <laughs> I, 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 Brian, I, I love this point. And, you know, I, um, there's so much to this point. Like, one of the things is, you know, before, before something like Gong, you had like it was so tough to get as much leverage because it required that human having that time in that moment to engage on that call or that deal or whatever it might be right and one of the coolest things that a tool like gong or, or any of these coaching tools gives you is that ability that you don't have to be right in that moment as a human but it also allows this peer learning and so as we uh as as we uh, rolled out Gong, like a lot of my enterprise reps, right? And and even it's funny. Last night I was talking to my stepdad about this, who's in sales, and he was like, "I don't know if I'd want them recording my calls, right?" And the way that I look at it is, I expect my senior reps 
to record their calls so that our reps that are, are wanting to get better or, or um, less experienced can use those to learn and to grow from and to, and to steal best practice. So there's an incredible peer learning that I expect to happen from coaching. I also love um, the idea where reps can self-service their coaching now. So they can go in. I mean, I've had reps join during COVID and um, they have completely ramped listening to these calls and and using this to do that. Um, But now, I guess in the same way that I think uh, as sales leaders and, and, and as we have these new tools, there's no excuse for any sales leader not to be using them. I think the same exists for individual contributors where there is an expectation that you do some self-learning and some self-coaching from all that we're putting out there for you to listen to. Uh, We highlight certain topics, keywords. So I think um, it's super interesting. And also to make it even safer as a coaching culture, I think a great place to start to your point is that peer coaching that goes on, right? Rather than it always being tops down, how do they, they learn from each other? Um, so I think it's an excellent point. I, I think we've covered this a little bit, but there's a great question from Allison Stevens. And if you folks have questions, again, there's a questions box and monitoring. Um, there's kind of two good questions here. Maybe, maybe BT and Dana, we can do like a 60 second shot clock for each of you for, for whichever point. But the question from Allison is what are some best practices for coaching a top performer consistently 150% over quota that is set in their ways and everything they do is working quite well. The other aspect is Norman who says, what's your typical approach to motivating sales reps through their low moments? So I think there's two different things here and I'll let you, you folks choose. It's like, how do I get the, um, maybe a closed-minded overperformer who doesn't think they need feedback uh, versus maybe just a rep that's in a slump, you know, how can I motivate them? Yeah. I, I, uh, mind if I take the first one, Dana? Go for it. So I, I think one of the most important and impactful things that you can do as a leader uh, to, to get buy-in from those who are skeptical starts with explaining the because and explaining like, why this is important that development is happening in this area. Um, One of the things that we do on a monthly cadence uh, across the mid-market team here at Gong is is we bring in business data, whether it's conversion rates, cycle length, you know, all the KPIs that the senior leadership team is looking at. And I I present them to the mid-market team. So when we talk about you know, our focus area, why it's so important in early stage conversations for us to do X, Y, Z. They understand, the entire team understands that these areas are the places that, you know, this has the attention of, you know, the the entire organization. And of course, Amazon is coming to my house to uh, deliver (laughs) a package. There you go, Dana, I told you that would happen. You gotta be like a time to plug for, for Dana and Amazon. <laughs> but but yeah, just just to, just to summarize, um, it, it's really all about the the because and using that because to, to gain their buy-in. I, I think the only other thing that I'd add is that works a lot better if you know that rep's motivation. Uh, are they just there to make money? Are they there to advance into a leadership position? Like, why are they doing what they do? Sales is not an easy job that you just do to do you're you're 
you're not really a normal person if you're in sales. Um, so it, it starts there and, and then delivering the because. Brian, it's interesting. Um, I couldn't agree with you more about the why, but I think something else that is really new in our world is we finally have um, the tools and the data to turn coaching from being something very subjective to being able to be objective about it, right? So I think mm. often a lot of our top performers were resistant to coaching because it was such a subjective environment. So what what does that mean, right? Well, uh, back in the day, in whatever format I could, I would grab whatever call or I would try and make their call and then I'd give them my feedback. Well, that is mm. just my feedback. Now we have all this amazing data to baseline off of and then to use that to coach our top performers. So um, a great example is I know I know Gong Labs just this week posted about um, calls that, that have groups on them are two times as likely, uh, those deals are two times as likely to, to close win. And so that makes it easy for me to go back to my top performer or top performers and say, hey, out of your pipeline, I see these deals are single threaded. You know, what can we do to get some more group calls going? That's not Dana's opinion, right? That is actual data telling us how we can increase it. So with top performers that might be a little bit resistant, I think you've really got it to get into using the uh, objective data point of view. Um, I think the other question around coaching top performers is you've got to ask yourself, is that really where you need to be focusing? So when, you know, when we talk about scaling and growing teams and as a top line leader, I'm really interested in moving my middle. And so um, it's, it's not always about um, figuring out every way for the top performer. I want them to continue to learn and get better. And I think a lot of that will come with peer um, coaching and just using some of the data points. I'm going to go and, and focus on my middle. I think the other thing that I've seen really successfully done and um, that I've loved personally, and I actually was on a LinkedIn chain this morning about it, but um, for you on the call that might not have this or haven't thought about it, it, it's a great idea to think about converting one of your headcount into a dedicated sales coach role. And the idea behind that and why it's so effective even with skeptical reps is because um, most coaching books will say this you know, even as much as you don't want it to affect a coaching environment, as a leader, you hold rank over the person generally that you're coaching. If we're talking about like, I'm a sales manager and the person reports to me, and that always has some play into the environment of coaching. But when you take a, a someone as a third party and they are a coach and their results are kind of tied to your team's wins, um, it creates a whole different environment. And also that person's whole role is to coach where we all know as leaders, we quickly get pulled away from what it is we really want to be doing, which is coaching and often into meetings. So I think that's another way to think about addressing maybe some of the skepticism um, of coaching and, and looking more at, at pulling someone just into that role. Great points. And the perfect transition, because we're saying, hey, you know, removing as much subjectivity as possible, mm -hmm. right? So leading with data, um, leading with Dana and data. <laughs> as we have a great quote from Dana here. I'm going to skip just for time, but it will be in the deck. So you'll be able to read this fantastic quote that I, I sniped while we were prepping. But it's really right here is, is surfacing coaching blind spots, right? Which is like you said, it's really subjective. If Brian's my manager and I come to him and say, hey, Brian, what can I work on to get better? 
it's really easy to say, you know, hey, we're focusing on discovery as an org this quarter. So we're going to focus on discovery with you. Or Brian was on my closing call and I did okay. The deal closed, but he heard one small example of what my, you know, my skills are. And so what I think can happen is these blind spots start to exist, right? Which things that managers and leaders cannot see, but if they could see, they could start to coach around and start to drive, you know, different results. Um, so Brian, what are some of the, uh, well, I, I'll tee you up because I know the answer is actually is like, I know some of the deals, the blind spots for you is, is on deals and deal drivers. You want to kind of walk through that? And then I know Dana is going to be right behind you because I know she loves deal drivers as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and just to reinforce what, what, you know, you said, Devin, like, as a leader managing frontline, a frontline team and getting involved in deals, it is so easy to just get so focused on the deals that can move your forecast and influence like your, your quarter. And, you know, where you're brought in often is, you know, late in the sales cycle for a big negotiation call or, you know, executive alignment or, or whatever it may be. And the challenge is, is that, you know, I, I would argue the top reps don't always necessarily like those moments aren't necessarily the moments that make them the top reps. It's what they're consistently doing across their entire sales funnel on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so you know, I'm going to try not to turn this into a gong, gong pitch here, but what you're looking at is just a, a quick snapshot of uh, a, a portion of the deal drivers on my team. And what this enables me to do as a leader is to see, you know, whatever time period I'm looking at for whatever type of deals I want to look at, whether they're in forecast, early stage, or, or something else, um, to understand uh, how many of those deals have a next step on the calendar. Uh, how many of those deals have, or my reps being ghosted, where they haven't had any type of response or contact uh, from the prospect for over 14 days. Uh, or any type of deal where we are not at power or multi-threaded, which, you know, we know, I, you know, I honestly, Devin, I, I get lost in all the data sometimes that, that you throw at me, but I know you've got some great stats on multi-threading and, and getting to power early on and in outcomes. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would say that, you know, if, if all that you're looking at are those big moments and all that you're experiencing are those big moments, you're not being as effective as you can be because you're not looking at reality. You're, you're, you're biased uh, to these micro moments uh, across all of the sales interactions that are happening. I mean, before you even get to all this awesomeness too, Brian, I think talking about blind spots, I think as, as leaders on this call, unless you have this tool or a tool like it, you are blind. It is a very subjective coaching environment. And like I have in past lives tried to manage some of this by like logging some coaching in, in the CRM or, or keeping notes somewhere on a spreadsheet, but it doesn't also have then the analysis of the data across the whole team or across all the sales professions. So I think the first question to ask is, you know, for the leaders on the call, what sort of visibility do you even feel you have into coaching your team and how that's going? And so it's it's a problem that um, has been solved now, which I'm like so grateful for. But I don't know how how you can say you 
I don't know how else to solve the blind spots without giving this technology and tool. And, and, you know, I have, I have said it before, but I think it's irresponsible not to equip your sales org with, with gongs so that you can actually get visibility into all of these things you had blind spots before. Um, and so I think that's super important uh, for us to then be able to be really effective coaches and to move away from the subjectivity that, that often comes with our coaching. It's a great call, Dana. And I think that was the, one of the questions uh, was, you know, how do I coach effectively remotely? And, um, you know, there's no, there's no, you know, surprise what Gong does, but whether you use Gong or another tool, I don't know any other way that you can get visibility, you know, with 20 reps or thousands of reps across the country or the globe without some sort of technology. Like there's just no way, you know, even when we are in the office and, you know, Brian had a pod of, you know, eight reps and he's at, you know, one side of the table, you can only be in one place at a time. Right. And even all in the same room, you can't keep track of what's going on, what's working, what's not. So you have to leverage some type of technology. Um, Going back to the blind spots, and this is the most alarming slide of all, and kind of by design, uh, pun intended, <laughs> is deal warnings. So we kind of touched on it. When it comes to blind spots, and it's, there's, there's there's soft skills, right? I had no idea Devin was talking 85% of the time on a discovery call. Maybe that's why his deals are stalling top of the funnel. Not that that's ever happened to me. Um, <laughs> or maybe it's more like deal coaching, which is, you know, I've worked with Devin for a while. He's a good rep. He does well. But without some sort of technology, especially on the deal side of things, how is he executing deals? There could be reasons deals are lost that are very winnable. And so we've kind of talked about it. We've done some data uh, analysis, both in product and as part of Gong Labs, which is a research blog, about what deal warnings are. And these are things that are happening right under your nose that you might not be able to see. Um, I'd love, Brian and Dan, if you could share your favorite deal warning and why, or maybe the impact even that it's had on your team. I think that'd be a great way to wrap up this little uh, blind spot section. Yeah. Um, so my favorite deal warning is not being multi-threaded. So if, if my reps don't have more than three active contacts for 21 days in a deal, I will be made aware of that and we will be talking about it in a one-on-one -on -one and we will be, I will be looking for, to understand as to why, you know, 85% of the time there's a good reason. And uh, we end up, you know, making tweaks to our strategy against that account and uh, increase our, our chances of success. That's not fair. You stole mine. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but let me let me share why it's my favorite for a very very different reason. So you know, I'm as a top line leader, I'm not I'm not um, digging into every single deal deal or or as involved with with the reps. But um, when I deal warnings to me are are signal to me as a top line leader of where can I help. And so where can I either clear a blocker or a runway for my team or where could I potentially help to get involved to get this, this deal along? And the reason why I like multi-threading is that um, often some of the ways that, that top line leaders can help is by leveraging their relationships, reaching out um, to someone uh, higher up, what, whatever the right case might be. And so for me, um, this is an awesome signal for me to be like, wait a minute, is there some way I can help help my team? Mm. Um, I think as well, the, the same exists. And, and uh, I think this is 
probably becoming one of my more favorite topics, but um, as, as leaders, um, we've got, and, and this is kind of like as, as people become new leaders and thinking about how they want to become the next level leader and as a top line leader, um, I have to be thinking about the fact that every part of our organization wants an API into our sales org, right? So product marketing, engineering, customer support, um, you know, they, they've always for forever and a day come to us and been like, we want to talk to your customer on this. We want to beta them on this. What, what happened with this? Even sales and enablement people that are on the phone and L and D, they roll out these certifications and these trainings and they're like, great, that's done. Um, and, and we need the way to say, all right, I need all these teams around me to be able to hear what my teams are hearing, to hear the objections from customers, to hear how that pitch landed, to hear the pricing uh, discussion that happened so that we can continue to work to make this better for our sales teams and make the sale easier. And so Mm. the other thing I love about some of the deal warnings and even just, um, I would say the second favorite feature for me is keyword search. So every time I leave a a meeting where my stakeholders are curious about something with the sales organization, um, I'll go and type that keyword in and I will surface up to them multiple calls where it got brought up and I want them to hear the voice of the customer with regards to that topic. And I think that this is so powerful to be able to give the other teams APIs into the sales team. So I think as a frontline leader, the deal warnings are certainly around how can I immediately go in and coach the rep. Deal warnings to me as a top line leader are how can I clear the runway or help them or remove blockers and how can I get my stakeholder teams involved in that as well. There's a great delineation too between those two those two levels there, and uh, there's a poll over in the poll section, and the question is, what is your biggest challenge with sales coaching? There's three options, but what UBT and Dana just talked about is exactly on par with the answers here because it's number one is finding enough time to coach, and two is visibility. I don't know where to coach, and I think they're connected because if you don't know quickly where to coach, you spend a lot of time trying to figure out where to coach. And then you've got to layer on the actual coaching itself. Uh, and if you're not doing, like Vicky said, some peer-to-peer coaching, you find yourself working 60-hour weeks with an easy 20 right around the corner if you just could do those activities in a more efficient way. 100%. And you end up coaching to just coach. Like, you're not making yeah. an impact. And, like, you just feel like you have to, you know, coach to be coaching your team. But it's, it's wasted time. We've talked about culture. We've talked about blind spots and a little bit of technology to help us get there. The next part is, how do you measure the impact? And I think you just said it, BP. How do I know what I'm doing is right, that it's working? What should I measure? There's a bunch of questions about this, like how, what do I measure and how? Uh, so I think, Dana, I think I let BT kick off the last one. So Dana, maybe you could, you could lead with what do you think is impactful when it comes to measuring coaching? Yeah, a couple things. Um, you know, I, I mentioned before uh, this concept of moving the middle. Um, you know, you've got to put that into a cohort and then see, all right, here's where they were percentage to quota at this point. Now we've really begun this coaching effort where they, they landed at the end of that. And I think um, that's not only percentage to hit their number, but one of the other things that I love to measure is 
what percentage of my manager's teams are hitting quota. So I, I think uh, it can be a blind spot when a team hits, but maybe that's one rep that's had a massive deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. Don't get me wrong, but I'm more interested in a higher percentage of CAs hitting quota um, by managers. So that's something that I look for with, with the coaching. And then I think the obvious are around faster deal cycles, um, the size of the deal, depending on if we've been doing coaching around um, pricing and, and how to uh, grow the size of your deal. Um, but those are really important things to me. And then measuring that that middle of the, the cohort and, and the win rates there. Oh, that's that's great. We, we've got three things that, that we look at here on, on the mid-market team and in many other teams at Gong as well. So first and foremost, to, to Dana's point, you know, percentage of A's hitting quota, you know, just because the manager, the, you know, the team hit quota, it can be skewed because of that million dollar deal or whatever it may be. Um, next is improvement in whatever KPI we're working on. So whether it's deal sizes, conversion rates at a particular time in the funnel, uh, again, very much to, to, to Dana's point. I, I think the last is uh, through engagement surveys with your team. Um, in get collecting feedback uh, from your reps to, to feel to, to ask them and, and understand if they feel like they are being supported and coached um, in the way that you know you believe that you are coaching them. That's a good point, and I think too, Dana. Like, I mean, you folks, I'd love to know. Like, I think there's probably not one right answer here, right? Every team is working on something different. Every company is on a j- different trajectory. So. There's like your individual coaching plans, which I guess is, you know, it's custom as well, right? You know, again, kind of going more towards like the talk time or deal warnings, Devin, you're single threading too often. But then there's looking at the larger business, you know, the business and strategic goals and saying, hey, if we're trying to get larger deals, if we're trying to get into new territories, if we're trying to get into new verticals, we should align our strategic goals with our coaching strategy. And then that way, the day in and day out work is heading all, you know, we're all charging in the right direction. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, everyone, every organization and, and, and sales team is in their own circumstance and what they need to go and achieve. So I agree. It's it's really something to personalize. And I would also say, um, don't complexify it, right? So the, you can always have 10 metrics to measuring. Um, you know, I think two to three is right and, and stick with those. And then you guys, you know, you can iterate as you learn, as you go on. But um, I think absolutely, Devin, it has to be customized to whatever that sales team is trying to achieve or where they're going in their own circumstance. And, and, and that's why coaching is so important because there is always something that you are looking to achieve. Uh, you're always looking to grow. You're always looking to increase market share. There is always something to work on. So unless you really build the muscle and, and make this a habit, you know, you're just kind of shooting yourself in the foot. Well, let's keep it moving here. I'd, I'd love to read this, but to be fair to Dana, I have to skip your quote if I'm going to skip Dana's <laughs> quote. So we'll keep it as an Easter egg for those who get the deck. Um, but this is kind of what we're talking about, right? Like how do we make it strategic? How do we tie all these things together? The culture, uh, finding blind spots, knowing where to coach, how to do it efficiently, how does technology play into that? And I think that's, you know, when you're really combining all these different facets, it becomes strategic and then it becomes what technology will help us get there. Right. Because I think it's also important to understand all those other components before just going and buying technology. Technology doesn't, you know, it's not a bandaid. It's a, it's an enhancer. Um, but love Queens Gambit, by the way, it was a great show for anyone. Great, baby. <laughs> it was great. Um, BT, maybe you can walk us through this. So we have something that we launched at Gong 
for, for folks who are interested. It's called Complete Coaching. Do you want to just walk through some of the problems that it solves and, and maybe the impact it's made for, for you too? I, I think the biggest thing the Complete Coaching Suite has helped me with at Gong and, and really solved for me is, is to ensure that I'm distributing my coaching uh, the way that I'm intending to. Again, kind of back to my earlier point around, you know, it's really easy to like get a perspective from the moments that you're brought in as a leader and opportunities and in deals. Uh, our suite has essentially provided the same thing for me to, for me from just a, a coaching perspective. Like are the behaviors that I'm working on uh, the right behaviors that I should be coaching someone against? Uh, am I coaching everyone in the manner that I think that I am? Oh my gosh, I forget, you know, I haven't provided feedback for, you know, Kave for, for two weeks. Uh, I, I need to make up for that this week. Um, so yeah, coaching the way that I in, have, intend to coach, uh, I think is, has been the biggest win for me when it, when it comes to the coaching suite. It sounds like accountability is a part of that too, which is kind of just keeping yourself honest, right? Is like, we've covered it. There's a lot to coach. The more reps that you have, uh, or even managers like Dana for you, I mean, there's just more people behind, you know, those managers and directors that you coach. Um, no, it's kind of like, uh, how do I keep track of all these things? And what, what's nice about this is, you know, going with this complete coaching is, is really just adhering to the problems we've all had. We've all wanted more. We've all been good coaches wanting to be better. We've all had these desires, but like our poll said, it's really hard to find time and know where to coach. Uh, Dana, I know you're, you're a big fan of this. Is there anything you'd like to add as well? I, um, well, I mean, I, it's so interesting, Brian, what you just said around it, it, ensures that you coach how you intend to. And, you know, at the beginning of this, I mentioned like good intentions fail, right? Without something behind it to, to show you and to measure it. And so I think it's so powerful to be able to do this. And, um, you know, I, my leaders would tell you that I often bring up the, the coaching leaderboard and gong to, to look at my leaders and, and, and their actions there. And it makes me sleep well at night because I know that the motion's happening, right? Where I yeah. didn't know that before. I hoped it was, but I didn't know that before. And, um, so that's, that's incredibly comforting to me as a leader. And then of course the next step is, okay, is it effective coaching? So I, I don't want to um, pretend that just because I see it happening, it's, it's all good, but, um, I, I love this and, um, I'm looking forward to more and more coming certainly from you guys to help us, uh, drill into this. But, um, for the first time, I actually have a tool where I can measure adoption of coaching and, and that, that is like, just, um, it is truly amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go to the last poll and then we'll do a recap uh, for anyone on the line. Uh, you can jump over to the polls. You've heard a lot of different insights and tactics, and that was the number one goal. If you've heard this and you've been inspired and you want to see how Gong can help you be a better coach, uh, you can jump over to the poll section. You can say, yes, let's chat. and We'll reach out to you, get some time set up to talk. You can say, no, thank you. Polite, no, thank you. Never hurt anyone's uh, feelings. Or maybe you're not quite ready to take a call, but you'd like to continue on your coaching journey and learn some more from some of the content we have. So if you go over to the polls and uh, go ahead and pick your selection, every time I say go into the polls now, I think of like the actual election and you know the, the political landscape, but this is just sales coaching. Um, so go ahead and jump over there. And then we'll Thank go goodness. 
Yeah, I'm about to go. <laughs> probably change it from polls to like just something else, away from the voting vernacular for a little bit here. Um, but you know, really quick, just to wrap up and put a bow on this thing, it's you know what we talked about today. The three secrets are figuring out how to make a how how to make coaching part of your culture, training, regular feedback, and opportunities for growth. Number two, identify and overcome coaching blind spots. What's going on with your deals and your people by focusing on deal drivers, deal warnings. And lastly, measure the impact of coaching by finding the correct success metrics for your team. When you put this together, it's like you can apply this almost to any part of your business, right? Make sure we all care about it. We're going the right direction. Make sure we understand what the real problems are and what are we measuring and what are our KPIs, right? And so it's cool to see coaching kind of fall into this, uh, which it hasn't been able to for most of our careers. All right, we've talked about the poll. Now we've got time for Q&A. We've got about eight minutes left here before we wrap up. Just as There's a reminder, go ahead. In there. there are good questions in there. Um, as a reminder, everyone will get a follow-up with the deck as well as the recording. And if you liked sales coaching, if you like data-backed insights, go ahead and follow Gong on LinkedIn. Um, Dana mentioned a couple of the reports uh, that we publish. We do one or two a month, and they're always aimed with, you know, fueled by data and then a prescriptive approach to help you and your team be more successful. So that is the end of the show. If you have to jump off because you've got kids, you've got lunch, you have another call, understandable. But if you want to hang out and answer and ask some questions, we'll go ahead and do that now. So Dan and Brian, there's a cool feature where people can up-click, you know, like uh, Reddit, which ones they like. So the one that was up-clicked, and I'm sure upvoting might be the right wording here. <laughs> up-clicked. It looks like a up, yeah, up click. I'm I'm coining it. You're hearing it here first. Um, here's a good question. We didn't actually cover this at all. How do you assess the coachability of a potential hire as part of recruiting? So how do you assess the coachability when you're hiring? I guess is another way to word it. A great question from Koshik. I'm saying your name correctly. The my favorite uh, BC. Are you okay if I I'll I'll, I'll I'll share my favorite first? Absolutely. Um, I think it's a common practice for sales roles that anyone you're hiring does a mock sales call, right? That's pretty common. Um, I think one of the ways to evolve that is to actually make room to where you allow the person to do a mock sales call, give them some feedback, and then have them come back and uh, do do it again or do another version of it and actually see if they can they can put that into play. Um, that is the most powerful way um, to uh, to see it. But then I think the second piece is um, if if you're when you're asking the interview questions, you know, making sure it's about um, tell me a time when you had a deal and uh, whatever it might be, it was going well, it wasn't going well, you got some coaching advice um, and let them answer that and then say, okay, great. What did you do as a result of that coaching advice and have them talk you through those examples? Um, I think is another way that you can tease some of that out just through questions. But my favorite is actually like just putting it into practice during the interview process to some degree. Man, you stole what I was going to say, Dana. I did. <laughs> We're the, on the same so, page. The, so the, the one tweak that we actually just put into practice um, is we now actually schedule our mock sales calls during the interview process for a longer period of time. So we will actually stop people mid 
interview, provide the feedback and ask for them to implement it, you know, right after, wow. right after that fact. Yeah. We, we understand it's a tough exercise, but, uh, absolutely agree that that's the best way to, to test for coachability. If you want to see if someone can be coachable, uh, coach them, see how they respond. Uh, I under, under pressure too. Yeah. I've been, I know the interview you're talking about and it is not easy, you know, to do the mock pitch with a Dana and a Brian and someone else in the room, let alone, Hey Devin, why don't you go and stop what you're doing? Uh, you're, talking, <laughs> you're talking too fast and you're too low level. Go ahead and just adjust both those. Go ahead. Just let people let people go for it. Um, another good question here: What is the best approach to coaching a large team with different personality types and sales ability? And that's from Riley. Great question. I imagine Dana, you have to run into this with just the size of the org. I mean, we hung out today. There's 200 people on a on a separate Zoom call. We were yeah. on. How do you approach this? Um. So this is where I think you first have to uh, start with the data, right? I I don't I don't believe it at first out the gate, you're going to, you're going to get across everybody. Right. So this is about like, and, and this is, this aligns with making coaching part of your strategy and connecting it to um, your end result. Okay. Of, of my sales org and out of, you know, whatever number of people it might be, where do we really need to focus the most first? And there are some, if you guys, after we hang up today, go and Google moving the middle, you know, this is not a Dana concept. I mean, this is a very popular concept, but when you move your middle performers, just even a little bit, the impact that that has on your end result is massive, right? And so um, I think it's about getting really focused with your coaching initially on like, where do they need it the most? And you you pick that focus by the data. So I, I, I don't believe you will be successful if you're going and trying to encompass all, right? And then I think through other pieces, like you've got your top performers, um, those are the ones that you that can probably do a lot of self-service coaching, which is what a lot of these reps can do. But that's where you can service surface the really cool data points around that that Devin and the team publish and say, hey, have you ever gone and looked at your own stats around this? Have you ever um, listened to one of your calls for this? And they can start to kind of do it on their own. But in large sales orgs, it's it's really about that middle piece and getting that move because that's going to have the biggest impact on um, on you hitting your goal. I love that. Brittany, Brittany made a point in the comments here, you know, Hey, there's a lot of great advice, but I think some more coaching tips specifically with these topics. So why don't we do this? We've got two and a half minutes left. Why don't we have Brian and Dana share your number one tip? Like if you're, I'm, I'm, I was watching today, I'm listening. Right. And I'm like, I just need one thing that I can leave with and go do today, tomorrow, next week. What do you think they should get started with? I would say, I would go back to my earlier point of creating, whether you're operating, you know, a, a team of eight, a team of a hundred with multiple layers of management, um, look for opportunities uh, to create leverage by taking people who are really good at things and giving them the spotlight to disseminate their coaching uh, amongst the team. Um, you know, you, you can't be a super coach and people learn differently. So hearing it from every angle is the most impactful way to really move the needle. Love it. Yeah, I would, um, I'm, I'm going to build on that a little bit because I think, um, sometimes when I hear a question like that asked, sometimes I sense in that question, 
how do I, uh, how can I go to my rep tomorrow and start coaching them and it be safe and it feel normal and it not be weird, right? There, there's something in that, right? Typically as well. But um, to build on what Brian said, using these very objective data points and having those and picking one and sharing with like a lot of transparency and visibility to the team that like, hey, um, this month I really want to focus with the team on talk time or I really want to focus with the team um, on how we finish our calls and if we finish them strong with like a mutual project plan in place. And then that way no one feels singled out and you can share it with the data points, share how you're going to approach it. And then as you get into those discussions with each rep individually, they know that this is a team effort, but also to Brian's point, you then can get leverage from using those on your team that are really great at it and using them to help coach the team and share that best practice as well. So hopefully that's helpful. I think it's spot on. There's there's tons of insights and tips here. So I think uh, I think everyone who, who tuned in hopefully you know pulled away with at least one or two. And I agree, Dana. I do the same thing on my team. I think it's great to have transparency. Side mark. I run a uh, a marketing team, so you know we can you can uh, throw shade right after the sentence. But everyone on my team has a coaching plan. Everyone on my team knows that everyone else has a coaching plan. But what they're focusing on is between me and that individual. But what's really cool is after a few weeks of this, people will start talking in team meetings like, oh, that's really interesting. I'm working on that with Devin right now. I'm And so now you've got this, it's like speaking of building a culture, when everyone knows like, hey, we're on the same playing field, we're all being coached, we're all here to get better. Uh, it takes away that kind of oddness or that weirdness. And then people are start to really build momentum around that and, and share that. And it becomes part of your part of your culture. Brian, Dana, thank you so much for your time, for sharing your wisdom, your expertise. Uh, and thanks everyone for investing an hour of your time, both again, for yourself and for your team. As a reminder, you'll get a follow up with the email. Uh, we'll reach out to you accordingly. And thank you for your questions. I know there's no way we could have gotten to all of them, uh, but we'll do our best to follow up with you individually for folks who had questions and make sure you get them all squared away. Thank you again and have a great rest of your Thursday. Thanks team. Thanks everyone. It was a pleasure. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.